Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Vazil. This is the show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, and we get to talk about everything in between. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, you know what you're supposed to do. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe on Apple. Five-star review on Spotify. You know the deal. We would always appreciate that. More importantly, today, my incredible guest, I have Lee Povey. He is a human behavior and performance leadership coach. A in his pat one of his past lives, he was a performance cycling coach worked with Team USA for a bit. Lee, how you doing today, man? I'm great. How are you, Michael? It's a great day to be alive, isn't it? It's what is it? 75 degrees out here in Long Beach. Sun is shining. After this, I'm going to go for a walk with my wife. Yeah, lucky to be alive. That sounds like a great. Not lucky to be alive. You worked very hard to get here, but that's like <laughs> a really nice day. That that sounds. I actually. I mean, it's a little hot here, but there's a good chance after this, I'm actually going to go for a walk with my wife as well, because it's going to start to calm down a little bit. But nice. we don't need to talk about walks with our wives. We can talk about that all the time. But Lee, I'm very excited to get to chat with you today. Obviously, you're changing careers, what you're doing, what you used to do, how you used what you used to do to what you do now, right? That's always yeah. fun. You know, that, that bridge, that transition is always cool. But Lee, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Oh man, uh, probably because I'm an intensely competitive human being and um, for just myself, if I'm not doing something sporty, I'm horrible to be around. So the beginning of the pandemic, um, my sport at the time was track sprint cycling. Obviously I coached it and I still competed in it myself. Uh, mainly so that I could continue eating donuts and ice cream to the amount that I wanted to. We all have our reasons, man. <laughs> I appreciate the insight. And uh, the velodrome was closed for a year. So there was no racing. You were so cycling completely stopped all of its programs, its races. So um, I ended up finding go-kart racing, outdoor go-kart racing. Uh, I am now a seriously competitive go-kart racer. Um, so to answer your question, for me, I need something competitive in my life. As I've grown older, it's much less about winning and it's more about just being the best version of me and challenging myself um, in ways that stretch me. And then there's a second reason why I love sport and, and this is a more global thing and this is the impact that it can have in our lives. If we think about what we can learn from sport, what athletes can learn from sport what children can learn from sport about themselves about the value of work and what it can relate to even the fairness or unfairness in society that you know sport ranks us all and we get to learn that not everybody is the same and not everybody is equal we have areas of genius and we have areas where we're weaker um so i just think there's so much life lessons about commitment about timekeeping about teamwork, about communication, about leadership that can come from sport. And that's why I loved being involved in sport. That's why I love still being involved in sport. And that's why I love mentoring sports coaches because of the impact that they can have on the world. So if we think about human beings, who impacts you the most? It's your parents and your family system. It's your school system. And it's any sports that you're involved in. They are the three biggest impacts Many people tell me as a coach, I've impacted their life immensely and I want to help other people be that impactful or hopefully more impactful. 
Yeah, I think one thing that I always like to try and do is do the one-to-many, right? Like, yeah. it's very easy for me to talk to a friend and say something nice to a friend, but it's, it's a lot more fun for me personally to have a conversation with you, Lee, about what you do and how you do it and try and put that out into the world. Yeah. And let the 10, 15, 100,000 people, whatever it is, hopefully they can learn something from that. And then that isn't, you know, it's not directly coming from me. It's obviously the combination of the two of us having this conversation today. Yeah. But it's that one-to-many where you can help that one coach or those two coaches or those five coaches and then those five coaches can help the 20 kids that are on the team this year and then the 20 kids that are on the team next year and then so on and so forth and then hopefully that spider webs out where you have the ability to touch so many different people plant a lot of seeds of trees that you'll never see grow yeah but you'll be able to you know that someone's sitting sitting under that shade somewhere which is pretty awesome yeah i love that proverb wasn't it uh, i can't remember it exactly but something along the lines of you know like love is planting a tree that you'll never feel the shade of interesting what i don't i don't get it explain it to me because <clears throat> you're doing something that you personally won't benefit from so you plant the tree the tree grows up it provides shade but you you know you never because you've died by the time the tree grows up and plants the shade so it's it's doing that thing for others and doing that thing for the next generation um that i think is really important like when we and this is gonna be completely off tangent but when we look at our leadership and we're electing people that 80 odd years old you know that's not that that's for me it's like what does that mean what, 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 what investment do these people have in the future? Now, hopefully they do, but what would it be like if we're investing younger people that have more stake in that future? That's good. I hate all politicians, so that's why I, I totally agree. Why, why are we electing ancient people to run the country when they're not even going to be here in 10 years? When I'm yeah. pretty confident I should be here for another 50 or 60 years at this point, so hopefully, you know, I don't want to run the country, don't get me wrong. But I feel like I have a little bit more invested interest because I'm going to be here for a couple extra minutes. But anyway, that is very off topic, and I do not want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you can tell it's not a favorite topic of mine. No. Uh, I do want to go down the, the topic of the Velodome and everything that you've been doing. So where, where did cycling come into your life and how, you know, as you said, you love that competition and you love the things you can learn from it. I mean, competitive cycling is pretty nuts, right? Like I've seen it. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very competitive, especially the Velodome. I think you guys get pretty high speeds, right? Yeah. Where, how do you even find that type of sport? And, and what are some of those things that you learned that you alluded to in the beginning? Yeah, great question. Um, like, like many. Questions, yeah, I'll try and break them all down. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Um, like many boys, um, I wanted to kill my dad and be better than my dad. Mm. Um, and he happened, his sport happened to be track cycling. Uh, we happened to live a mile away from a velodrome in Brighton, uh, my hometown back in the UK. So I grew up watching him race. Uh, and when I got old enough, when I was 13 at that time, you had to be 13, now it's younger, but you had to be 13 to compete on the velodrome. I got to be able to do it. Um, I was lucky enough to have a reasonable genetic gift so I could be pretty good at it. And that hooked me. I like being good at things. What I particularly like about track cycling um, is it's incredibly tactical. Because of the benefit of aerodynamic drag and, and the slipstream effect and hiding behind another rider. It's a very, very tactical sport. I was also very good at swimming and I just couldn't get motivated by swimming. You know, you'd swim up, do your tumble turn, you swim back. It just wasn't intellectually stimulating enough for me. So track sprint cycling one. I also played rugby. 
Um, but I realized that that was going to absolutely destroy my body. <laughs> so yeah, track sprint cycling one, and I've done that since I was 13. I'm 49 now, and I'm probably going to compete again next year. So it's been a, you know, on off love affair for the entirety of my life. That is incredible. And that, I mean, how many people have found something they love doing for 30 years, right? Like you hit the jackpot, man. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, as I said earlier, I kind of questioned it a lot during COVID, like, do I still want to do this? I've kind of achieved everything I'd wanted to do as, uh, I'm not quite as a coach, like my coaching career, by my own choice ended before I'd got to the real pinnacle of winning, uh, you know, somebody winning Olympic championships, but I've done almost everything else about that. And I was kind of ready to let that go. And the same thing with cycling. I've won British championships, American championships, European championships, uh, come second at the world championships. Uh, this is an age group masters uh, stuff. And I'm like, what do I, what's the next challenge? And that's why I'm really enjoying the go-kart racing. However, I, I still love the, the challenge of being physically the best version of me. Like, what was it going to be like to make another comeback at 50 years old? And how fast can I go at 50? I actually set a lifetime PB at 45. So technology moves on, training moves on. So that helps. But that was something special. And now I'm thinking at 50, can I go faster than I did at 45? assume so why not at this point right and and you know appreciate you being a little humble there uh but like let's be honest like it, it's clearly a testament to the amount of time effort energy and work as you said that you're putting into it to continue to try and get better every day because there's so many people that by like 25 they're phoning it in <laughs> it's just like all right like i have my job and i'll do what i need to you know i'll work my nine to five if they ask me to work a little later I, i'll do that and i'll go home and i'll watch netflix for a couple hours i'll go to sleep i'll wake up and i'll do it again uh, and that just that kind of lifestyle does not jive with me at all. Um, now I, I, I won't sit here and tell you that I'm you know competing in anything <laughs> at any type of level. Um, but you know I'm trying. I'm doing things right. I'm still trying to keep my brain active and my body yeah. active and and, uh, and get going in that sense. So I guess what is it like with so so you compete, but you, as you said, you also coach. You coach at the very 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 highest level, and unfortunately that was taken away from you. So I'm not excited, but you know interested to hear that aspect of the story. Where at what point did you realize or did you say, hey, you know, I understand I'm not going to win a gold medal, but I want to be able to help somebody do that. Where was that transition and why did you you know, take that leap to coaching when it's so hard for so many elite athletes to make that transition? Yeah, um, for me, I, it, was a, it was quite different for most elite athletes. So I realized that when I was 17, 18 years old. So I was on the GB national team. At that time, it was a very poorly funded program. It was not a career. It is now in the UK. And in fact, uh, by Sport England funding, it's one of, if not the best funded program in the world. Then no funding at all. Our national team coach had £1,000 for the entire program for a year. Didn't even pay his fuel bill. So I realized that I couldn't make a career out of it. And I also wasn't exceptionally talented. I, reasonably talented but I'm not going to be world class at an elite level so I became a real estate agent instead uh, worked for a large corporate company awesome training like I learned so much about humans and leadership created my own company and then realized that it wasn't providing me with value I wasn't making the impact on the world that I wanted got drawn back I'd already started competing again more seriously as a, as a master's racer this is 30 plus so I got drawn back to sport. I was at the European Championships in Germany in 2007, watching an athlete that I coached compete for Great Britain, sitting in the stands with his dad. And I said, I don't want to go back to my business. 
this yeah 2007 this was within four months i'd sold my business incredibly lucky because in the uk the property market crashed in january 2008 there was a big banking crash so i sold my business in december 2007 i, I feel very lucky for that and then created my own cycling coaching business, which over a decade ended up with me working with USA Cycling. I created a program for them. They didn't have any development program for uh, the track side of the, of the sport. So I created that. I found an independent funder, got funding and created a development program for them because um, we haven't been successful, especially in track sprint cycling in America in 20 years. And, you know, how weird is a British person that I'm coming and going, right, well, I feel pride at living here and I really want to make sure that we, we're successful. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm pretty sure you do pay taxes, right? So, hey, you're, you're, you're... Well, I'm actually an American citizen now. I got it three weeks ago. But, yeah, I've been paying taxes since 2013. So, yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. Congratulations on citizenship. That's thank incredible. you. Yeah, and, and appreciate the taxes, too. I think that's important. Think we're all in the same boat. We're all, we're all uh, rowing in the same direction. I think that's the important part. Um, but I guess, like, what? So I appreciate the story. I think that is very intriguing that you had your own business. Sounded like you were doing very well. You got out at just the right time. You keep saying that word lucky. We don't believe in luck here on the show. So I have to, you know, we're going to have to take that out of your vocabulary, at least for the next 30 minutes. But more importantly, I think it's, you know, the fact that you were able to find something that you loved doing. What is it about coaching that you love doing? Like why, why, when you were sitting in the stands with that, you know, that, that youngster's dad, you were like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to go back and sell real estate anymore. I'm over that. I, w- I want to do this for the, the foreseeable future. Yeah. Great question. Um, I want to be of value to the world, Michael. And there was some value in what I was doing as a real estate agent. Um, however, it's, it's fairly selfish. And a lot of it is about how much money am I earning? How much money is my business earning? And, you know, there's a place for that. It's okay to earn money. I have no judgment about that. I just didn't feel that I was, I didn't feel I was taking enough advantage of the skill sets that I had. The business had a reasonably narrow need for skill set and I had a broader set of skills I wasn't using and I wanted to develop and I wanted a bigger impact on the world. I wanted to do more good. And I could see the value of coaching. I'd had both great coaches and appalling coaches. And I wanted to be part of the great coaches. I got very lucky. Um, uh, uh, Again, (laughs) use that word. I I agree with you. You create your own luck. I created some luck. I met a local cycling coach who was the development uh, coach for the area that I lived in. And he didn't know how to coach track sprinters. It's a fairly niche subset. So it's a, the power athlete, most cycling is an endurance sport, but this part of it is absolutely a power sport. Longest event is around a minute. Uh, most of the events are 20 to 45 seconds. And he invited me to coach an athlete. In fact, he didn't invite me. He told me he needed me to coach an athlete because he didn't know how to do it. And that's how I started coaching. And that first athlete I coached won the national championships. The next athlete I coached won two national championships. And I realized I had an aptitude for analyzing human beings and sport and finding ways to maximize those. Um, you know, the, the name of my company now is Maximize Your Potential, my, my business leadership company. So I've always been very analytical. And the challenge for me is how to deliver that in such a way that I empower people rather than crush them. 
because it's quite easy to say, hey, here's all the things that you're doing wrong and get people in their shame. And my constant journey is working on my delivery to be in such a way that I empower you and I encourage you rather than it just being critical the whole time. And that's a hard, it sounds easy, right? But if it was so easy, everybody would do it, right? It's like, the, you know, obviously it sounds, oh, of course, why doesn't everyone just do that? But well, exactly, why doesn't everyone just do that? I think that's the important part. And obviously you clearly had an aptitude, as you said, if you just start, you could just kind of hop into this thing, national champion after national champion. Clearly you're very good at it, right? As you said before, you like to compete because you like to be good at things too. Clearly you're very good at this. Everyone likes being good at something. Obviously we all have things to work on. We can always get better. Yeah. It's nice when you start at like a, all right, national championship. That's my baseline. <laughs> that's the pressure, start, right? the pressure is on. I think the first five oh, athletes. Five, the first five athletes I coached are won national championships. Like, I wonder if I can keep this going. <laughs> well, I think you did pretty darn well. You know, as we said, you, you worked with some incredible people um, over a period of time, and you worked with, with many of them and helped them out. I guess at what point, and, you know, I don't want to cut this aspect of it short, but, like, at what point did you realize, like, hey, you know, as you said, you wanted to do better for the world, and maybe real estate wasn't for you. It is for some people. Shout out to my real estate agent. She's absolutely incredible, right? Yeah. But, like, I get that it was not for you. At what point did you say, like, hey, like, this coaching cycling is amazing, but I feel like there's more. And and what, like, how, how did that conversation start to happen with yourself? Yeah. I think there's two parts to it. One, um, it's not a very well-paid industry, especially in America. So Olympic sports are not well-paid here. Professional sports, fantastic. Olympic sports, the funding is horrendous. Um, the organization itself is in some ways quite amateur again because you're not paying great wages so I was in Milton in Canada I was leading a joint camp with the US team and the Canadian program and I was coaching the whole thing uh, with my colleague Ben Sharp from America and I was looking at the Canadian program they had a full-time program. They had housing for their athletes. There were six members of staff doing the same job as me. And I was being paid part-time wages. My role was technically part-time. I had my own cycling coaching business, um, private cycling coaching business as well. I was working seven days a week. I didn't feel very appreciated by the governing body that I was working with, which is part of why I do another, you know, my other role with Coaches Soul. And I felt very lonely and incredibly stressed and unhappy. And I was like, is this, is this my life? I loved working with athletes. I mean, I really loved working with athletes. And then there was just this other part, again, of my skill set was still improving and getting wider. And I'm looking and going, I'm working with a team of 12 athletes. What would it be like if I could work with more people and be more impactful? What would that look like? What change could I create in the world by doing that? So it was a, the combination of the two. And then COVID came at the perfect time for me. USA Cycling shut all its programs. I spoke to another couple of governing bodies um, in different countries. I had offers or interest to go to different countries. And then it was like, actually, do I want to do that? And my wife is a very successful and very smart um, therapist, psychologist. She's not going to go and move to another country and be able to do that job there. So I was going to be staying here. I loved where I live here in Long Beach. So it was like, 
what's going to be next? And COVID just created this space and this moment for me to actually stop and think, what, what the hell am I going to do next? And what's the impact I wanted to have? And I started with men's groups. So the very first thing I did was run a men's groups, uh, rent, run a men's group for some of my friends. I'd been in men's groups in the UK before for a, a long period of time. I knew the value of that kind of work. And I loved it. And about eight weeks into doing it, my friends are like, you need to do more of this and you need to do bigger than this. Like, What exactly is a men's group? So it's um, 90 minutes, once a week, we get together, uh, we check in. The check-in is like, how are you feeling right now? One or more of four emotions, joy, fear, anger, and sadness. So you're practicing checking in with what is going on for you. Then we have a round of accountability, which is, is there something you want to hold yourself accountable for? Is there something you want to hold another man in the group accountable for? That's an opportunity to explore what's coming up in your life and do some work on that. And then we would have some topics and they might be emotional models about how we connect with people. Uh, or it might just be somebody's going through something and they wanted some coaching and I would do some emotional coaching with them. Uh, and it's a place to come and work on yourself to be a better version of you in your leadership, in your fathership, in your partnership, in the way you show up with your friends, with the kind of idea that you're changing the world one man at a time. And then each man is going out and behaving in a different way and having that impact on his community like you spoke about earlier and that spreads out. So I started with that, again realized I had an aptitude for people and I think that's what made me a really successful cycling coach is how I understand human beings and now I'm applying that to how I work with leaders and how I work with sports coaches. So was the fact that the world was kind of crumbling before our eyes, did you say, hey, you know what, why don't I put a couple of my friends in the same room and let's just have like a nice open conversation. Is that where that idea came from pretty much? Totally, yeah. You know, I could see my friends struggling. I was struggling. People yeah, yeah, were losing their jobs. Yeah, I'd lost, I'd lost you know, two thirds of my income because I'd been winding my private cycling coaching business down to take on more of the USA cycling role. And I actually had an agreement with my boss that the 1st of June, we were going to start a, a full-time program based in LA, you know, so in two months time. <laughs> so, you know, now I look at it and I think it's a blessing. I'm happier doing what I do now than I was doing that. And, and I'm thankful that I had the opportunity and COVID gave us all that moment to go, what do we want to do? We're seeing it in people changing jobs and resigning from jobs and just going, what is it I actually want to do? And that's what that allowed me. And the group started with just getting people together to support each other because people were struggling. And then from that, I realized, no, this is actually what I want to do. And I, I listened to a podcast. It was um, The Knowledge Project with Shane Parrish, which I really like. And he had a guy called Jim Dethmer, who's a leadership coach on his podcast. I didn't even know leadership coaching existed. I knew a business consultant existed. I didn't know leadership coaching existed. I listened to this podcast and I went, that's it. That's what I want to do. That's where I should be. And then I started trying to create that. And I actually reached out to the guy on a podcast, had a conversation with him, did one of his courses, got recommended to another course, did a bunch of courses, have my own coach now. I'm on a group course and I've just been upskilling myself to do this, this new role. That's awesome. 
in less than a little over two years. Two like, years. It almost be it almost be two years uh, for the congratulations. You just got a new full time role with uh, USA Cycling. So it's funny. <laughs> it's kind of funny how that works out, right? I mean, we're recording yep. this June of. 22 so uh yeah about two years uh you could have been could have been doing this thing for another two years but here you are now yeah i think that's pretty cool so i guess what is uh i'm, I'm, I'm sure people hear leadership coach and they think a lot of different things so like what what is your definition of leadership coach when you work with your clients yeah i love that um the best way to describe it is we explore who you are as a human being, how you show up as a human being, the impact you want to have on the world. Uh, We look at where you are now and where you'd like to get to and we coach the difference between it. So um, I work a lot with things called survival mechanisms. So this is the suit of armor you've put on as you've gone through your life. So, you know, we're born, we have a certain genetic disposition for the way that we show up in the world. Uh, it's interesting, the more I learn about this, the more I learn that actually personality traits are quite gen- genetic. There is obviously a big learning component as well from the environment we're in, but we do have some genetic component to it. So we show up with this certain way of being, and then our childhood, our experiences shape it, and we kind of put some armor and some masks on just to survive it. Then when we become adults, we're not in our family system anymore. And the stuff that we developed to get through that and to survive that, and I, and I don't mean that in any negative way, we all do it, it's just what's happened, now might not necessarily serve us. And it gets in the way. And it's that thing where you do something, you behave in a certain way, and you go, oh, I wish I wouldn't do that. Or why do I keep doing that? It's that stuff. And I work with you on that so that we can remove that, we can bring some awareness to it so you are more aware of it. I work with you on just some emotional models and tools and skill sets to allow you to communicate more effectively, to understand other people more effectively, to understand the impact that you want to have in the world, and then to be able to create it and support you in creating it. And the reason I do that is because I want to work with people that are impacting more people so that what I do can be more impactful in the world and I can make a difference. One of my friends uh, has a name to touch a billion people and create change for a billion people in the world and that's what inspires me i want to create change we're talking about politicians earlier i kind of felt in in the pandemic like do i want to become a politician to deal with this bullshit or you know what's what i can do and i don't think i could uh manipulate myself or others enough i wouldn't want to do that to be a successful politician so what's the most authentic way that i can make change in the world it's by working with leaders that are working with a lot of people let me thank you for that last one i appreciate that um but i do think that's very important right like if the touch people who can touch the most right as you were talking about before one to many one to as many as possible and that's that's the best way to do it uh who's your friend Brian Bogart, his name is. Brian Bogart has a, yeah. a billion people. That's a, a billion people. people. He's a he he's a pretty special dude. Though, right? He's a pretty special dude. And so, if you're you're kind of one of his billion, and you're going to impact, hopefully, millions, right? Oh so yeah. He's already got ten to hundred million. Yeah. Please, please <laughs> got that side for me. I don't have to worry. But but no, legitimately, I do believe in that kind of stuff, and I do believe that that is that is the way to impact the most people is just continue to grow that network, continue to to help those who can help even more than you. Uh, and, and really, you know, you're all the way at the top of that food chain, which I think is important. And then to go back even a little bit further into what you were saying, uh, awareness. 
I think awareness is a superpower. Uh, I practice awareness every single day. I do everything that I can to become more aware of myself, my situation, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, how I'm thinking. I think that's one of the most important things, right? That, you know, being aware of what you're saying to yourself uh, is, is, is extremely important. I guess how, you know, it's, it's, it was really hard in the beginning to practice awareness because you're like, what the hell? Like, what do you mean? Of course I'm aware of what's happening. Until you start to actually realize you have no idea what's going not that you don't have any ideas you just don't have that pinpoint accuracy with it how how do you practice awareness how do you help your clientele practice awareness because it's something that i truly do believe that that is it has had the most impact on my life in the last 10 years let's say uh, yeah. than pretty much anything else yeah do you mind if i do a quick bit of teaching yes Please. Okay. This, this is free. Right? It's incredible. Thank you. I love it. Um, so I think of it as the way that we learn. So if we go through the stages of how we learn, the first part of learning is to be unconsciously incompetent. So this is where a lot of people are when we're talking about awareness. They don't really know what the term means and they don't know what it means to be aware. You know, you're talking about people that do jobs earlier and they don't really enjoy the job but they don't know there's other options available to them okay so that's that first stage so the first stage is to bring some awareness and just start with that so a lot of what i do is you're just asking people to note what's coming up for them in some particular moment like let me give an example so something we'll use is stories so often in our lives, we create a story to have some understanding of a situation. Yet the story may or may not be true. We just created it. So a good example would be somebody texts you and says, we need to talk. And lots of people's first story that they create in the mind is, what have I done wrong? Right? Now, that is not necessarily what's going on here. If a camera was to record this, the camera would record the other person send you a text that says, we need to talk. That's it. That's where it should stop until you talk to the person. And then with curiosity, you're like, hey, what do you want to talk about? A little funny aside, I have a friend who whenever somebody says we need to talk, her response says, yes, we do. Um, <laughs> just to mess with the other person. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We do. Oh, no. What I do, right? <laughs> exactly. But just noticing how you feel when that happens. So then the first part of that is to notice it, to bring some conscious awareness to, oh, I notice I have a feeling around that message. Then I start writing a story. What have I done wrong? What do they want to talk to me about? And trying to rack your brain instead of just noticing it and going, I don't need to answer that question. The question will be answered when we talk. And it's to bring in that level of awareness to everything that you're doing, where you start to note it. And then you get choices. So we have an emotional response to something. And lots of us have been trained out of that emotional response. As little kids, we're told, don't be afraid, don't show fear, don't be angry. And we're trained out of it. Yet actually our emotional response tells us everything we need to know about the world and gives us a lot of data. So I start teaching people how to understand their emotional response, feel it, and then from that place make a choice of how they want to show up in the world and how they want to react. Instead of just staying in that emotional reaction, absorb it, go, oh, what is this telling me? Now how do I want to choose to be? And we use a model called above and below the line. So below the line is our emotional response. No judgment, everybody should be there at some point and have it. And then above the line is how do I want to choose 
to be in the world based on that emotional response is information. What is it telling me? How would I know? Like to be. Instead of disdaining the old script of somebody cuts me up in a car, I flip them off. That's my script. What would it be like instead to stop ourselves and go, oh, I'm curious what's going on for that person who cut me off. Did they just not see me? Are they rushing to get to the hospital because their wife's about to give birth? Have they had a really bad day? Has their dad just died? I have no idea what's going on for them. Yet I'm judging them in that moment for my emotional response of like, screw this person. Why are they cutting me off? Right. It's like I've never cut someone off in my life. Like, <laughs> like, like that's, the, oh, that's the easiest thing I've always, I always do. Is like, yeah, I mean, I've accidentally done that to someone before. Hopefully that person's okay. And like once you, once you can not only throw that... Uh, not have that negative negative energy, but actually throw them positive energy, that's going to make you feel a ton better too. So that's always something that I try and do. When I do have those feelings of really wanting to be like, that guy's an asshole, being like, all right, I hope he's okay. I hope he's doing well. I hope him and his family are safe and healthy. Like yeah. Once you do that, it completely reverses the inside of your brain that yes. you go from angry to not only you don't go, you go back to neutral, and then you take it even one step further to go that, even further to positive. And that's what we're always trying to do. I'm always trying to be positive. I do not live in negativity. I only live in positivity because negativity does not serve me. That is something I learned from my good friend, Rob Cressy. And that's something that I truly, in every single aspect of my life, I try and make sure that I'm absolutely living in the positivity because that is going to get me to where I want to go. Negativity will not bring me where I need to go. And and again, like leading everything that you just said, I agree with all of it 100%. I wish more people practiced it. I wish you got to help more people practice it because it's extremely important uh, for people to be aware and understand, right? Like, I am not a doctor. I'm never going to be a doctor. never want to be a doctor. But just hearing what some people in who are diagnosed with, you know, anxiety, depression, and, and hearing, I was like, oh, well, have you done meditation? Have you tried exercising? Have you done any of these things? No, I'm taking medication. Okay, and I'm sure you might need it. Again, I'm not a doctor. But, like, all of this stuff is proven to help. So why don't we try some of this stuff, too? And that's what just pisses me off about the healthcare industry, if you want to dive down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, but, but, no, I, I think it's incredible, and, I, you know, I think you're doing some very important work. Um, I know we were talking about it a little bit before, but, like, what's what's your purpose with all this? What are you trying to get to each step? You're getting closer and closer to something, but what are you getting closer to going from, you know, real estate to coaching, you know, cyclists to now coaching leaders? What are, what are you trying to get closer and closer to? Yeah. I think it's a combination. One of the world just found me and found my skill set. And then that skill set has evolved over time. So I wouldn't have been as successful as a cycling coach if I hadn't learned the marketing skills that I learned as a real estate agent. And just the organizational skills that I learned as a real estate agent and how to run a business. So that was super successful. Uh, that was super helpful to me being a cycling coach. And I wouldn't be able to be a you know human performance and emotional and leadership coach if I hadn't spent 15 years working with people in incredibly stressful situations. Like elite sport is about as stressful as it gets. And I'm sitting with people in that and I'm trying stuff and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And I'm also, as an elite competitor, experiencing it myself and getting to experiment on myself with like what works and what doesn't work. And as I was going through my coaching career, I was realizing I was getting more drawn to the technical, tactical and emotional than I was the physiology and the strength training. I was much less interested in that and the data analysis that interested me less as time went on. And I was much more into trying to figure out human beings and why they make the choices they do. 
And from all of that learning, I've then taken that and now I'm upskilling myself again. And what I'm discovering is, even in my journey here, I started doing men's groups. And then after two years now, I'm moving away from doing men's groups because I want to be more impactful than eight guys at a time. I want to work with leaders that are working with hundreds of people. So now I do leadership groups. And that's the involvement of my men's groups as leadership groups. And then I work with leaders one-on-one and then I coach entire companies. So I do engagements with companies where I work with everybody in a company and I get to really help that company achieve what it wants to do. And I only work with companies that I'm aligned with their goal. You know, one of the companies I work with, uh, they're a coffee replacement company and their aim is to improve people's mental health by reducing caffeine intake. And they heavily... Um, support and fund psychedelic research. So if we're talking about, you know, where's the healthcare industry going next, there's so much great stuff coming up, as you said, about meditation, use of psychedelics in treatment of things like depression and PTSD. And that obviously very much aligns with what my wife does. I have a, I have a stake in her business, which is a psychotherapy business. So, you know, we just want to make the world a better place. And... That's our way of doing it. That's our way of having impact. And I really feel like I'm really getting to that point where I'm going to be the most impactful version of me. And now my growth is just keep working on myself to be the best version possible in service of other people. And I finally got to that place where I can let go of my ego so much that it's not about me. It's about being of service to others who are going to be able to do great things. And I can support them to be wonderful people. And I think that last part of kind of moving away from cycling coaching and needing some glory myself through what my athletes did is has been that last stretch into just letting go of that ego. Ego's a hard thing to let go of, man. It's, it's what protects us. It's what protects yeah. us. Um, it's what gets us through the world. And, you know, then get into this place where there's something bigger. And I'm not religious at all. Like, I, I'm not religious. Um... I'm not, you know, I don't partake in any organized religion. What I mean when I say something bigger is there's this whole planet of human beings and I can be part of solving the problem of allowing so many human beings to live together and what they're going to experience or I can be part of the of the problem and creating it and just there to get my own wealth and my own ego fed and I want to be part of, you know, solutions about how we all do this and get what we want from our lives. Can you already see what the next step is? Right, from going from men's co- uh, men's groups to working with leaders to now working with entire companies. Do you have that? Are you are you looking out that far, or are you still stuck? Not stuck. That's a bad word to use. Are you still focused on the now? Because essentially, the now has always led you to where you need to go anyway. Yeah, a bit of both. So um, this month, and one of the reasons I'm on your podcast is I launched a company called Coaches Soul uh, with my colleague Miriam. You should yeah. have told me that. When you told me that, <laughs> I can't remember. I don't remember that part of the email. Um, I apologize. Uh, I didn't bring that up. But here we are. Yeah. We got here anyway. Look at that. We there you go. On the now, we got here anyway. Look yeah. So Coaches Soul is a company specifically for mentoring sports coaches. So it's the work I'm doing, but directly for sports coaches. And the reason I want to do that is because sports coaches are so influential in people's lives. And we spoke about this a bit earlier. 
And they they get very little support. As a national team coach, I had almost no support, like especially emotional support. There's nobody I could talk to. What actually ended up happening was I befriended coaches at a similar level in other countries and we support each other. And then I actually ended up coaching a couple of those coaches as their emotional coach through the Olympics in Tokyo because that was the only outlet that we had and that was the only outlet for support that they had. And as a coach, it's very lonely. You know, if you actually describe what a sports coach does to somebody and sold it as a job, people think you're crazy. In most sports, the athletes get the plaudits. So you're the coach in Olympic sports. Nobody knows who the coaches are to the best Olympians, or very few people know. So the athletes get all the plaudits, as they should. They're doing the work. However, usually their success is 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 you know related to how good their coach is, and the coach you know supports them in their success. Yet the coach gets very little of that accolade. However, if athletes are not performing well, who's the first person to get fired? It's the coach. So you you have this job where and and our friend Steve explained this to me, and I just it's, it's just so poignant to me. You have this work where if we explained it to somebody, people go. I'm not doing that job. That sounds crazy. And yet there's hundreds of thousands of people across the world doing this because they want to be a benefit to society, right? And I want to be a benefit to them. And I want to be a benefit to how they're showing up, how they're able to show up via their skill set. If you look at most sports coaches, there's very little to no leadership training in their sports bodies. There's no training on the language that they use, how they relate to their athletes, and how they look after themselves. The training is technical on the sport or physiology. There's very little about how they show up as leaders. Yet, that's the most important part of their job as far as I'm concerned. That overrides everything else. And people tend to be drawn to coaches who have some natural leadership skills. However, I've learnt myself there's a big difference between having some natural leadership aptitude and then really maximizing how you show up as a leader and especially removing your own stuff so that you can show up without it and i think that's a it's an incredible way of explaining it right you always hear all the time oh he's a leader of men or she's a leader of women like that's that's how coaches are described some of the best coaches on planet earth are described that way leaders yeah so i think you're 100 percent correct right like maybe they are just tactical at their sport but also the important, you, you can only be so good, but if you don't connect with anyone, if you're not able to lead people to understand and learn all the information, and all the knowledge and all the wisdom that you possess, if you're not able to get that through to them, who the hell cares how good you are? It doesn't matter. It's going to come crumbling down at some way, uh, at some time or another. So I think that's really impressive. Where, like, how are you, how are you getting in front of coaches? How are you getting in front of people that can make the decisions that say, yeah, Lee, we would love you to come in work with all of our coaches here at the University of X so that way they can you know impact our student athletes or or they can impact our athletes at the absolute highest level yeah I uh, believe in the field of dreams approach if you build it they will come so the most important thing is if it doesn't exist you can't do it so the number one thing is to create it which we've done and now we're doing exactly what you've just described. We are reaching out to governing bodies, to sport and organization, to colleges and universities and saying, hey, here's this thing. It's a little bit different from what you might have seen before. It's a bit different way of speaking to coaches and supporting coaches. And we want to talk to you about it. 
I'm doing podcasts like this. I'm, <clears throat> you know, this is the third I've done in, in the last two weeks so that I can be talking about what we're doing so that people understand this even exists because it is a bit different. There's, there's not many people doing what we do. It's very prevalent in the business world. I'm one of 100,000 leadership coaches in the business world. Yet in the sports world, coaches get absolutely neglected. We've only recently understood the emotional toil that athletes go through and started employing sports psychologists, therapists to work with them. And even then, most of the aim of it is, you know, the sports psychologist job is often almost like a little bit of a band-aid of like, here's this issue somebody's facing in performing their sport. The work that I want to do is almost... I don't want to undermine sports psychology because some of them are absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to be careful the way I say this, but looking like how they show up as a human being and then going deeper as to what might be getting in the way from that as to how they might be performing at their best. And I want to do that with coaches so they're able to do that with their athletes. Or at the very least, they're able to show up as the best and most healthy emotional versions of them so they can role model that it looks like to their athletes and so that they're able to withstand the pressures that coaches go under because it's an enormously pressured job every time you compete could be the last time that your team competes or that your athletes compete one bad performance and you can get sacked there's very few jobs that can that exist under that level of strain stress and um, visibility yeah, visibility as well, especially if we're talking about major college sports or obviously yeah. professional sports. Yeah, you, uh, there was a baseball coach who's, you know, considered one of the, you know, potentially depends on who you talk to. Joe Madden, Angels. Oh, you're in California. You might know. He got fired because they had a 12-game losing streak. But, like, two or three weeks ago, they were like, yeah, the Angels are doing incredible this year. And he has a two-week two bad stretch. All right, you're out. Sorry. It's done. And it, it, you're, you're right. It's, it's just the, the visibility that comes with it, right? The fact that everybody sees, everybody knows, everyone can hear, everyone can talk definitely adds to that uh, there's one thing that you said that was really interesting though you, um, you know we just started to and I, I, I'm paraphrasing your words a little bit we just started paying attention to how athletes feel and what they're going through we've never cared or paid attention to how coaches feel right like ever even with all the athlete stuff coming up right like obviously Simone Biles recently was absolutely incredible there's countless number uh, of, uh, of examples of this now but yeah I've never heard anyone be like man that coach they must be going through a really hard time like maybe they need some help. No one's ever said that. So I think that's really incredible, and that's a great way of looking at it where, well, what if this coach was then able to help somebody? Again, just use Sabone Miles. Like what if her coach was able, not to say her coach weren't, wasn't able to help her, but you know what I mean? That that pass down, that trickle down opportunity where you could help the coach in some way, shape, or form, and then, as you said, they pass that along to their athletes. I think that's a really interesting concept that you know I'm very excited uh, that you get to tackle. And obviously your experience as a coach, right? You're, you're not just coming at just – you're not coming at this from – the leadership only perspective you literally coach the highest possible level of athletes when did something slightly different but very similar and now you're like hey let me just combine these two things to help the people that i care about the people i love the people that i think can impact the most and something you know in a way that i get the most connection out of i think uh sounds like the jackpot man. that sounds pretty sweet good job yeah. congrats thank you buddy um and you can you can see how kind of my um background has come together perfectly to create this role for me and give me the skill sets i need for this role and obviously i've got some aptitude to some of these things which helped me get here uh, and then it's combined with the experience that i've had and that's driven by the experience you know i can remember being 15 16 years old 
my coach at the time coming back from the Junior World Championships and saying, no British athlete will ever win a world championship in a sprint cycling event because the Italians, the Russians and the East Germans are just too good. We'll never be that good. British cycling now dominates the sport of track cycling and has done for the last nearly 20 years. And this was just before then. This was 10 years before then that this coach was saying this will never happen. I want to be part of coaches not doing that to athletes. I want to be part of coaches' own... And, and basically what we're talking about is his insecurity about understanding the sport and how to coach the sport was what was talking there. It wasn't, you know, British people have two arms, two legs, the same as the East Germans and the Russians and the Italians. So it was his, his insecurity and his lack of knowledge that was getting in the way there. And I want to support coaches in ways that that stuff doesn't happen anymore and that their insecurities are able to voice them with somebody like me or one of our other coaches at Coaches Soul and we can work on them, we can support them. So instead of saying, this is never going to happen, they go and reach out and get the help and support they need to be a better coach. So if they need to learn more about physiology, they go and speak to physiologists or they get physiologists involved in their program. And just to help coaches understand they don't have to have all the answers being a great leader actually means you shouldn't have all the answers instead you go and seek those from other wise people you seek them from the athletes you know I, I see coaches think that they have to have answers for the athletes the athletes know themselves pretty well usually ask the athlete what do you think you need how can I support you in what you need a great example, I don't know if you're a basketball fan. I'm a huge basketball fan. It's, it's my American sport. I had to adopt one when I moved here nine years ago. It's basketball. I first moved here. I was in San Jose, Bay Area. I've become a Warriors fan. What a lucky guy to watch Steve Kerr in action. And you luck on that one. You can have luck on that one. Yeah. And I'm watching the game, this series, and I was talking to a friend about it, and he was like, why didn't they take Clay Thompson out of the game earlier in the first game in the finals when he was bricking all those shots? And I said, well, because Steve Kerr knows that at some point he needs Clay Thompson and it's worth him missing some shots to get confident and to get his game back because he's going to need him and it's worth it. And he has that level of trust that he knows that eventually it's going to come around for Clay and it did. And that's leadership. Leadership is knowing that you can trust those around you even when they're struggling instead of thinking that you have to have all the answers and you have to fix everything immediately. It's trusting other people to step up. It's trusting other people to find their own genius. And I think Steve Kerr is a great example of that. He has so much trust in his players and therefore they have so much trust in him as a coach. And he, you know, start of the series, he benched Steph because Steph wasn't ready to play a full game. And you noticed that Steph had no problem with that. As a leader in the team, Steph was like, this is the right thing for the team. Other superstars on other teams would have created hell around that. And again, it shows that organization and how they genuinely think about the overall and the good for the team instead of just the good for themselves. I would even take it a step further and, and give the Draymond example, right? Yeah. Like the, the, the fact that he took Draymond out of the game. Yeah did everything that he needed to do and understood that he could do that with him and he's the type of person that he can test and that he's the type of person he can have that type of relationship with it is every very very much so a person by person basis yes. understanding how all of this fits in and i think steve Kerr is absolutely incredible especially if they win the series yeah. um 
<clears throat> that, that puts them on a whole nother level, I think now, right? But it's just, I think, you know, it's it's the different examples of how, you know, it's, it's always, you know, when you were a kid, oh, well, why, why did he get treated differently? Or why are you angry at him for a B, but me a C plus, you know, that whole thing, you know, right when we were kids. And it's like, you have to treat everyone differently because we're all different people. And that is true leadership, understanding who you can test, who you can push, who you can take out of a game with three minutes left versus who you kind of know you need to leave in a little bit longer because we really need that guy. We're going to need him later on in the series and do everything that he's going to need to do. Yeah, you know, with Draymond Green, he knew that doing that to him would probably fire him up enough to come back and have a great game the next game, which is the opposite of Clay. Clay needed to find some confidence. Draymond Green needed to be calmed down a little bit and needed a little bit of a shock. And Draymond had his best game of the series in the next game. So man management, uh, Steve Kerr's man management is fantastic. If somebody says to me, like, how do you know a great leader? Like, what is probably the number one quality of a great leader? For me, it's how they adapt themselves to other people, how they adapt their approach to get the most out of the people around them. I hear people talk about their leadership style and I hear people talk about what kind of leader they are and that makes you very rigid. Like, here's my leadership style, this is how I show up. Great, then you can only work with people that work with that leadership style. Instead of, I don't have a leadership style, I have, a, I have an ability to adopt whatever I need to get the most out of the people that I'm working with. And that's the kind of leaders that I'm trying to create and work with, the people that wanna be like that. They're curious, they're open, and they realize it's their responsibility to meet the people they're working with or the athletes they're working with where they're at instead of expecting them to behave like them. Because otherwise then you have a narrow breadth of ability. Those are the best kind of people. That is awesome. Lee, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate explaining everything you've done, everything you're doing, everything you're about to do, right? Past, present, and future a little bit and how all of those things do connect. I think that is pretty cool. Give us uh, social handles. Let us know where we can find out all about you, everything that you're doing in case anyone wants to look some of that stuff up. Yeah. So uh, Maximize Your Potential Coaching on all the social media sites is my business and leadership company. And then Coach's Soul on all of the social sites is our sports coach mentoring uh, program. And um, yeah, we're really working hard on that at the moment. I genuinely want to make a difference in sports coaching. Like I want to make a difference globally in sports coaching. So like my friend Brian Bogart wants to touch a billion people, I want to be the difference in sports coaching along with my partner in that, Miriam Glares, who's a former two-time Olympian uh, in synchro swimming yes. and former national Thanks. team coach in synchro swimming. I'm a familiar athlete soul, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's how we came out with coaches. So, yeah. And she's incredible. She's an amazing person. She's already making a difference in the world with athletes and, and we know that we can make even bigger difference in the world with coaches and the way that they, they deal with athletes. That is awesome. Well, you're working with some cool people. That's absolutely fantastic. One more time, Lee Povey, human behavior and performance leadership coach. Uh, former performance cycling coach, coach soul, maximize your potential, right? Maximize your potential coaching, yeah. Coaching, thank you, I apologize. I'll put everything right. in the show notes for everyone, including myself. This has been absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate the conversation. These are always some of my favorite ones, getting to understand what people are doing, why they're trying to do it. Um, so for you, for everyone out there, thank you very much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, so I appreciate you giving me a little bit of yours. But other than that, I hope everyone has a great day. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Michael. Awesome questions. Really enjoyed this. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll leave that in too. One. <laughs>